the hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries, showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Podcast. Now, here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Some guys trip into coaching. Some guys know that's what they want to do. And some guys have to find out on their own that they're coaches. And no matter how much they try to escape the gravitational pull of the career of coaching athletes, they get sucked back in. That's Connor Riley, Kansas State's offensive line coach. Riley came to Kansas State with Chris Kleiman from North Dakota State, and it was there at North Dakota State that he really stepped up his career. He's a product of Nebraska Omaha, and he was on the coaching staff when the president of the institution decided, no, we're not going to move up a level. We're going to gut football and quit. That's a pretty tough decision to have your alma mater make. He was an offensive lineman there. He's coaching there, and now there is no there with football with Nebraska-Omaha. So he ends up at Sacramento State for a couple years, but in the process, as you'll hear him talk about during this interview, he met the North Dakota State coaches, Craig Bull, the head coach, and the defensive coordinator, a guy named Chris Kleiman. In 2014, he ends up at North Dakota State, and now he followed Kleiman here to Manhattan, Kansas, to be the offensive line coach for the Wildcats, starting last year with a senior-laden group and this year going through a difficult, challenging, and probably long rebuild of that line. But they are showing progress. Welcome to the PowerCat Sources Podcast. I am Go PowerCat publisher Tim Fitzgerald, and this is the podcast in which I talk to people that we consider our sources. We'll talk to Coach Riley throughout the year on occasion about his offensive line, about the program, maybe about Christmas shopping. But we get information from these coaches, and this fall we're talking to all the coaches one by one on the staff and other staff members with the Kansas State football program. We started with Chris Kleiman before the season, and now we're working through the coaches probably a little more than halfway now. Kansas State is halfway through its season. Hard to believe. The Wildcats are 4-1. and one. They are at the turn right now. They're 4-0 oh in the Big 12 with five games to go, including Saturday's game at West Virginia. How will K-State do? Well, a lot of that will depend on an offensive line that Connor Riley had to rebuild with the help of no spring football and not much of an offseason program. That's not easy for any coach, but to put together a five-man or an eight-man rotation of an offensive line, a bunch of guys who live and breathe with each other and understand he's stepping there, I'm stepping here, it's like a dance. you got to learn it all together, and you're kind of one moving organism in concert with each other. Oh, by the way, uh, you're not going to have much practice. That's exactly what the offensive line looked like against Arkansas State. A lot of things went wrong in that game. The offense wasn't great. The defense gave up too many points. Special teams didn't make enough plays, even though they blocked a punt. And Kansas State lost. 
But as you'll hear during this interview, things started to change. And they haven't fully changed. They've made a lot of progress, but Saturday's 55-14 to victory over Kansas is a perfect example of what he's wrestling. Bad first half, really good third quarter, and then they're okay from there on out. Inconsistencies. It'll drive a coach crazy. You heard it from Bill Snyder so many times. Consistency, consistency, consistency. And that's what Connor Riley is seeking from his rebuilt offensive line as they head off to Morgantown to try to get to 5-0 and in conference play, which is incredible. Well, this one's kind of long. I had a great talk with Connor Riley, and he really goes in-depth on recruiting and some of the things he looks for in his linemen and, and also how he ended up at Kansas State. And now we welcome in Connor Riley, Kansas State's offensive line coach. Coach, I'll just start with this. Um, how much progress has your group made over the course of these five games? They've made significant amount of progress. And um, you look at where we were in week one to where we're at now. Um, there's just so much more knowledge of what we're doing. Um, there's more urgency. Uh by no stretch of the imagination are where we are we where we want to be. And um but it's we're seeing continual growth. And and that's the thing that I stress to him every single week is compete, improve, and have urgency. And quite honestly, Tim, the thing we're looking for the most is consistency. And if you look at us over the course of the last, you know, um, four or so games, you know, you look at, okay, the first half of the Oklahoma game, hmm, uh, a lot to be desired. And then seeing how we finish that game, um, you know, you go on to uh, um, a Texas Tech game. And, boy, I thought we started um, doing some things really well um, and, and then had a lull there in the third quarter and then finished um, kind of the same um, same story in that Texas Tech game. And then you looked at this past weekend and, uh, you know, the first half um, was not the execution that we need to have in order to be successful. But then you look at how we came out in the second half. And and as an offense, as an offense line coach, I was very pleased. Let's go back to the one game I don't blame you for not mentioning, uh, Arkansas State. As mm-hmm. you're watching that game unfold, um, is it, what what's going through your head? I mean, it just wasn't functioning very well, and you're trying to do it without Noah Johnson. Yeah, there was uh, there was quite a bit of frustration, and um, there's frustration all across the board. And we certainly are not going to make any excuses. We just were not um, where we needed to be opening up the season. And um, you know, you, you see the assignments, you see kind of the first time, so to speak, light bullets, um, um, you know, going throughout there. And, 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 and you obviously you did not like the result. And that was, that was a, a frustrating game. However, I will tell you this without that game, I have a hard time believing that um, we as a football team uh, have been able to win our last four ball games. And maybe that's just me, but that was a wake up call. Um, for everyone within our football program uh, and and probably especially within the offensive line. You know, we had to have uh, deal with a lot of honesty and with ourselves and, and how we prepared, 
how we went about things. And there was a whole slew of uh, challenges that, that we had leading up to that point. But that's for everyone in the country. And we're certainly not going to make excuses. I'm not going to make excuses because I don't want those guys up front to make excuses. Well, practice is one thing, but uh, not performing well on TV, not performing well with an actual opponent across the ball probably does get a young guy's attention that maybe you didn't couldn't quite get him to lock in on what you're saying after just practices and practices and practices on display for everyone. I get it now. Yeah. And that's, you know what, Tim, that's part of it. However, I will go back to the fact of you mentioned practice and you look at a lot of guys who play quite a significant part in that game. And because of one reason or another, um, leading up to that game did not have enough practice, you know, whether it was missing spring ball or whether it was missing um, a, a portion of fall camp because of not being available. And so, yes, I, I do agree that that does play into it. However, I would still go back and say that how we perform is directly going to be related to how we prepare. And, how we prepared leading up to that particular game was not up to standard. Some of the things were not within our control. You know, there was one point where I think we had, um, you know, I think eight offensive linemen practicing. And, you know, some of those guys had to go down on scout team to service the defense. And then all of a sudden they found themselves playing 30, 40 snaps without the preparation that we needed to have. So, yeah, there's part of the fact, yeah, you see it on live TV and maybe family and friends and there's some of that. But to me, that really shouldn't be taken into account. What we need to look at is saying, how did we prepare for that game? Some within our control, some without, out of our control. And how did that have a direct impact on our performance on Saturday? And if we don't change our preparation, then you know, it kind of goes back to the old definition of insanity. You know, it's, it's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So um, we have been preparing um, and working a lot harder. You know, is it uh, a finished product? No, it's not. And, and it's something that you anticipate. Um, as a football coach, you try to prepare for, but you're never prepared for it. So you continue to look for, you continue to find the positives, encourage guys, but at the same time, you continue to be very honest with them and say that that performance is not up to par of what we need as a standard within our football program and what we, uh, we, we expect on the offensive line. Going back even further, when you arrive at Kansas State and you find out you got well, five senior offensive linemen or whatever it was. Uh, That's a good thing. But this is the bad side of it, isn't it? They, they, after one season, they're all up and gone. All that teaching goes out, and you got to kind of start over. And, oh, by the way, uh, you're not going to have a spring football. I mean, that's just yeah, got to be unbelievable. I, that, that's, that's, that, that is absolutely a challenge, and it's something that, yeah, you kind of you put in the, the back of your mind and – and they're guys who had not been in the system. They're guys who had not played college football, um, you know, seen that those live pictures, uh, you know, or had to have adjusted to pictures that maybe we didn't necessarily prepare for that the defense presented on a Saturday afternoon. Um, but again, that's the situation that we're in. And 
you know, it's, it, it's a line that everybody's using. This is 2020, you know, this is 2020 and, and it's a crazy, crazy year. So you can look at that and say, well, woe is me or pity is me, or you can, you know, put your big boy pants on and go to work. Has there been a process of accepting 2020? And what I mean by that is I would imagine when you first had guys absent for either COVID exposure or actual illness, it was incredibly frustrating. And now you're probably like, okay, we've been dealing with this. Now this is what we got to do. It's almost like you're numb to it at this point. Well, I don't know that you're ever truly numb to it because when we have guys who are not available for whatever reason, and whether it's COVID related or whether it's injury related. And, you know, that's one thing that, that I think you're seeing throughout the scope of all of football, whether it be at the NFL level or at the college level, part of the reason some guys aren't available is they hadn't had contact in eight, nine months. They hadn't had the rigors of summer conditioning. Uh, like they typically had. So they could be unavailable for any number of reasons. Um, when it goes to the, the, the pandemic, the first thing you do is obviously um, you wish for their well-being, whether they are positive or whether they've been exposed. But secondly, you feel awful for guys. You know, you have guys who, who text and they say, coach, I promise I've been doing everything right. I have no clue how the hell I got this. And, and they subsequently have to sit out ultimately um, close to three weeks uh, of non-training. And you feel absolutely terrible because what they have had to go through the zoom meetings that we had had, you know, going back to March all the way through in hopes that no, here in three weeks, maybe we'll get back together. No, in three weeks, maybe we'll get back together. That's, that's challenging. Hell, that's challenging on me. Mm-hmm can't imagine how challenging it is on a young person, 18 to 23 years old. So, you know, there's, there's still mixed emotions. You still hurt for young people who, you know, there's so many opportunities in life. There's so many opportunities in a season and to have some that, that are taken away from them because it's out of their control. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't sting any less. You just maybe are a little bit more prepared for it. You're missing some young guys on Saturday against Kansas, but you kind of had that for the first time, your your frontline group all together. Um, you know, Noah's healthy now. Uh, that had to be good to finally get a look at them and be able to move your tackles around and try to figure out what parts are, are going to work mm-hmm. best for you. Yeah, it, it's good to have, you know, those guys back, have those guys back practicing. And, and that's the biggest thing, you know, it's, it's like you lose, you know, that Cooper BB. I think you talk about improvement in one of those guys from the Arkansas State game into week two and then, you know, into week three and he's just catching it and then bang, he goes down. So there's still working parts to it. You know, we're asking a ton, a ton of Christian Duffy right now. You know, Christian Duffy's the guy who, uh, you know, was, was unavailable. And then, you know, he starts settling into a position, has great confidence at a particular position. Then I've got to move him back over to the left side, which is a challenge. So yeah, there's, there's some, um, there's some positives to it that, that are very reassuring that are exciting. Um, 
but there's still a lot of those ebbs and flows for those guys of frustrations of how they're playing. But to me, these are things, these experiences that we're going through, whether it be out on the football field, whether it be um, quote unquote, 2020 related, all they're going to do is make us uh, a better football team, better football players. And, and quite honestly, you know, you think of what they have to overcome, it's going to make them better young men in the future. And that's, you know, that's not lip service from us. That is, uh, that is the truth. And it's teaching them that there are going to be challenges. And, and again, um, you got to find the silver lining and uh, continue to move forward. Well, you mentioned Cooper Beebe. Um, you know, when he played that Arkansas State game, you could tell he had a few issues. But you're right. I immediately saw improvement with him. Um, how, what's it like to have a, a redshirt freshman that you know, he may not be a tackle in the future, he might be a guard, but he's going to be in there anchoring your unit for years to come. It's got to make you feel really good because he just seems like a foundation type of guy. He, absolutely. And he's a guy who has a great understanding of the game of football. He has great savvy, uh, you know, and, and he's a guy who a year ago played a lot of guard, played a lot of tackle. And I think throughout that progression, you know, it, it's helped him understand collectively what we're doing offensively. Um, it's helped him understand, um, you know, just more techniques and, and he's a guy who does everything right. He's a guy who works his tail off uh, to have that type of foundation that you're going to continue to build this group around is, is uh, undoubtedly very exciting. And, and, you know, you look at, you know, Christian Duffy and Katori, these guys are, they're sophomores, you know, and you, you throw in Carver Willis, who's a true freshman. And, you know, we were able to get uh, Taylor Poitier a few dozen reps this past week and, and am really excited about the future that he can have. Um, one thing that we really need to continue to improve upon, Tim, is competition within our football team. Competition that is going to, you know, throughout the course of the entire year, whether it be in the weight room, whether it be in a spring football setting, whether it be on a, on a Tuesday um, in late October, getting ready for game number six, uh, that's going to continue to push everybody and continue to, to move this program forward. So we're putting some of those pieces in place, but uh, we most definitely have some work to do. Yeah, I heard Coach Kleiman mention that. It feels like everyone you took along the offensive line in this class, the 2019 class, was a hit. That that They may not be ready to play now, but they can play mm -hmm. at this level. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And each one of them is at a different level of maturity, both physically and mentally. Uh, each one of them, as as you know, I mean, shoot, you know, Carver Willis has played um, quite a bit of meaningful football for us. And, and I know uh, um, we're going to continue to push him forward, very similar to, and, and probably even more so than we did Cooper Beebe a year ago. Uh, but, you know, I'm asking some of those young guys, again, to play multiple positions. You know, Taylor Warner, um, you know, with uh, – uh, some availability issues. Shoot, we we put a ball in his hand. You know, Sam Shields. Um, we put a ball in his hand, saying, you know, where's that? You know, can you play center? Can you play guard? And having the multitude of positions that they're going to play, and uh, and then we're getting, you know, to me, the long lean athletes, which is what uh, we want to recruit and and ultimately develop. They some of these guys may not be. They're not ready this fall. 
Some of the guys may not be ready next fall, but you look at the fact of they're going to continue to develop, continue to work. And that's the thing I'm so pleased with is uh, all the, all those young guys are, they're, they're hungry. I get reports from uh, coach Dawson every week, how they're doing in the weight room. They work their tails off and Tim, you know, as well as I do, especially along that offensive line. If, if, if you want to work and, and you got a little, you know, little something about you, then you got a shot to play. And whether that's in the big 12 or whether that's in the Missouri Valley football conference, Mm -hmm. you know, along that offensive line, um, you're going to have a pretty good shot. So bringing in those long lean athletes who are hungry, who do want to work, um, you know, shoot, I'll take as many of those guys as you can find. And if they develop at a different level, Carver Willis playing X amount of snaps this year, as opposed to, you know, Whit Mitchum, who's still, you know, kind of flirting with 270 pounds, which to me is right on schedule for where he's at. I told him, you know, 275 before you go home for Christmas. Otherwise you can cancel Christmas, <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, um, there's different levels, but I know these guys are going to be able to help us, uh, help us uh, achieve our goals in the future. One more guy before I move on to some other topics. Where would you be without Noah Johnson? Um, in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in trouble. And not only from at that center position, but also from a leadership position for a guy who, you know, when we're doing developmental stuff, he is not only coaching, holding accountable, um, those other guys, uh, but he's encouraging them. There, there's no one. Uh, um, who who works as hard as Noah Johnson. There really isn't. And, you know, he takes accountability. You know, this past week we we made a protection adjustment up front, um, and I saw half the guys make the adjustment, and they signaled the adjustment, and half the guys didn't. And um, we were fortunate enough that we scored a touchdown on the particular play. Very pleased just because of execution. And, um you know, he came back to the bench and, and um, I asked the person what had happened. And, and uh, um, Noah said, yeah, I, I thought I made the call and we discussed it. And he said, coach, at the end of the day, I got to communicate better. So when you look at that type of accountability of the type of person that he is, not only the type of player that he is, but the type of person he is in the makeup. Uh, shoot, man, I, 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 I love the kid. Absolutely love the kid. Love the way that he prepares and, and uh, we are certainly a much, much better football team with him on it. He's a really cool story. I mean, a kid that played in junior college, just came to K-State to be a student and then decided with the new hire that he wanted to play and he could play. Mm-hmm. He's really good. He cool. is very good. He, he's, he's very good. And he had, you know, he had a great person to learn from, um, you know, from Adam Holtorf a year ago. And that's, that's probably one of the things that you lack the most when you lose that type of experience is not only the guys who've been in it, but also the guys who can kind of explain what it's like. And, and Noah was, you know, asking questions all the time. You turn around and that's the kind of program that we ultimately want to continue to build. Um, we're seeing, we're seeing, a lot more signs of where that is, but it's not me grabbing a young Sam Shields and saying, Hey, you need to do this, but it's Noah Johnson or it's Ben Adler saying, Hey, you need to do this or you need to do that. When you start having that accountability, 
within your football program, that's where things take off to a whole nother level. And, and by no stretch of the imagination, are we there? We're seeing the signs that we are getting closer to that. That's it for the first half of this Powercat Sources podcast with Kansas State offensive line coach Connor Riley. We will be right back. The Powercat Podcast will be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. We now send it back to the PowerCat Podcast. Welcome back to the PowerCat Sources Podcast. Let's continue my discussion with Kansas State offensive line coach, Connor Riley. Shifting gears here a little bit, when you mentioned recruiting and what you look for, but what are the first things you look for when you're you're checking out a prospect? Feet, mm-hmm. hips, uh, build. What are you looking yeah. for? Well, and this is this is kind of this is kind of one thing that you you talk about is everybody says you know the first qu- <laughs> question everybody asks in recruiting is how are your grades? Um, Tim, I don't ask that question very often. You know how somebody's grades are. The first question I ask is how hard will they work? And that leads to ultimately what type of student that they are. Because I've run into plenty of young people who they may be a C-plus student, not quite a B student, but they work their tail off to be that type of student. I've seen plenty of people out there who have great ACT scores and school comes very easy to them and they don't want to work. And it's, it's, school just comes natural. It's easy. But then when something gets difficult, which playing college football is difficult, they don't know how to respond. So that's going to be the number one thing is if there's somebody who does not want to work, does not want to compete, I, I really don't care how talented you are. I really don't. You're, you're going to have a hard time being, being successful within our program. And, you know, maybe that's wrong, but that's just me. When you look at um, you know, you talked a lot about it is um, you, you got to be athletic. You really do to play at this level. You have to be athletic. So what does that go into? That goes into hips that goes into flexibility. Do they have the ability to bend their knees? One of the, one of the better football players I ever coached um, and, and he's still playing, you know, the strength coach used to say, gosh, I think this kid came out of the womb with his knees, man, you know, and this is, who could play about, 
you know, two feet off the ground. And that's just, he is, he is a hell of an athlete. And, um, you know, I often joke just very similar to uh, being a parent. I always try to parent the things that I'm not very good at. I think most parents really try to do that. Um, well, I try to coach and find things that I wasn't very good at. And I wasn't very good athlete. You know, I didn't, Ben did not come very natural to me. So, um, you do have to have some athletic ability. You have to have the ability to change direction. You have to have the ability to bend, um, play with a base, and then ultimately have some type of burst. Um, so those are things that, that certainly you look at. And then um, I do like longer offensive line. You know, I want long, lean guys who are going to come in here and develop. Um, if you look uh, at who we typically – will recruit, for instance, Carver Willis. Uh, you know, when when I first got here in the spring of, um, uh, or the winter of 2019, I remember he came down for an unofficial visit. I think he weighed roughly at that time 246, 247 pounds. Well, he's ahead of schedule in my my book, mm. but now 285 pounds. But he's also a kid who's 6'5", 6'5 plus. He's got great feet. He can bend. Um, he's got great quickness. And those are things, Tim, I can't coach. So to put it very simply after a long drawn out explanation is I look for things I, I can't coach. I can't crawl into somebody's heart, make them love football. I can't crawl into somebody's head and make them a hard, hard worker. Okay. We can continue to develop those things, right? Coach Dawson is a phenomenal strength coach, but you can improve athleticism, but you're either athletic or you're not, quite honestly. Um, now, can some of those things be made up for on some of the other intangibles out there? Yes. I can't make somebody be 6'5". I can't make somebody be 6'6". You know, if I see somebody, um, you know, shoot, I, I talk again. You know, I remember recruiting a kid at a football camp, and we did one-on-ones, pass pro, and he never, he never passed pro. He played in the triple option offense. And... Um, you know, he grabbed me before the first one-on-ones and he goes, gosh, you know, coach, I, I don't think I'm going to do very well at this. And I said, well, get in and compete, get in and improve. Um, over the course of a three-day football camp, I'd be surprised if he won one one-on-one pass pro. And there were some, there were some bad football players there. <laughs> However, he was a guy who was then up in front of the line. He was the one who was working in between each rep. He you know, there's a couple guys who would hide out behind in the line. He'd cut right up. I'd turn around. His ass would be right back up there. And now the guy plays for the Green Bay Packers. You know, I mean, it's 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 not that hard. You know, the tough part in recruiting, Tim, is everything happens so early now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody's trying to get the jump start on a 2022, a 2023 kid. And how do you find out about these intangibles in such a short period of time that has become the challenging part. So, you know, regardless if a kid is committed, if a kid is not committed, a big part of what we've got to do is, is, and and this is one thing I do, I do think is very unique in college football is people want to recruit, but they quit evaluating. And, um, and we do, we, we recruit and we, we tell these, some of these young people how great they are, how great they're going to be. And 
you know, gosh, they're 16, some, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, and they, they start believing it. So they quit working. Um, and just being up front with them and saying, you know, here's the ways that you're going to fall out of good graces, at least in my eyes. And, and quite honestly, if, if they do, and I said, go somewhere else, we'll find somebody who does fit the mold of what we want. So, um, you know, the, the, the tangible things I think are pretty easy. And I think if you look at who I, who we are recruiting, it becomes pretty evident. Um, but, uh, the intangibles are going to go such a long, long way because in order to develop into that great offensive lineman, you got to have work ethic. You got to want to compete. Um, you got to love football. And, and, and those are things that are a little bit more challenging to actually find honest answers to. One of the things you brought up there was the ability to get a kid in camp, meet him, see how he works, see how he responds to adversity. You know, not, not secondhand from a coach or a janitor or a teacher, <laughs> Uh, you yep. get him in camp. You didn't have that this summer. Uh, how, mm-hmm. how much does that make the recruiting process more challenging for you? It does. It makes it a whole lot more challenging. And it's, it's, it's funny, you know, it, you know, kind of going back, there was a point, I think of the 17, 18 offensive linemen, my last year at, uh, at North Dakota state, I think, 17 of 18 or 16 of 17 I had in camp and people were saying, well, now you're going into the big 12 and you may not be able to get all these guys to camp their junior year. Well, you look at three of the four guys that we have signed from last year and they, they came to camp. Um, so what you do is you have to find a way to ask the right questions and not only ask the right questions of them, but ask the right questions of the people around them. Um, hopefully you have good relationships with their high school coaches and their people that you trust. But, you know, it's, it's funny cause I've, I've heard young players tell me in the past when you're trying to get them to come to your camp, cause there's so many different options. So you can get that evaluation and you hit the nail on the head. How do you handle adversity? That is, that is one of the, I mean, that's pretty astute by you. It's, it's, that's, that is so, so important. How do somebody beats your ass? How, how do you handle it? Um, and, you know, so it, you talk to the young, young kids and you try to ask them, oh, just, hey, ask my coach, ask my coach, ask my coach. I often tell them, I say, hey, listen, no, you know, your coach can tell me this, tell me that. And, um, but if you turn out not to be what he says you are, you know, he, he, I ain't going to call him and say, hey, you need to make my house payment because I'm all <laughs> in here you know it's 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 seeing as believing you know when it goes back to what i from my college football coach um you know treat me like a deaf guy you know don't tell me show me and uh um, um those are things that that you want to see so it has become more of a challenge in 2020 and quite honestly it's going to continue for another year um and trying to get these guys see the guys in the competitive scenarios that you want to see them in uh, but uh, you just have to continue to do your homework, continue to evaluate them, um, their film, and not just 20 highlight clips. You got to go back and watch game film and see how are they playing in those non-highlight situations. Um, you know, do you have an opportunity maybe to go to a basketball game and see what kind of teammate they are? You know, it's it's. I, I tell the story quite often. You know, I went to a, a a basketball game with a young man and 
he was came off the game or came out of the game and one of his teammates hit a three-point shot to tie the game up with 15 seconds left and everybody on the bench was driving going crazy except one kid and uh you know it was the kid that that i was taking a look at had all the measurables all the athleticism but he's sitting down there i said well hell what kind of teammate is he so you, you got to kind of get a little bit more creative in some of these scenarios that, that you look for. And when there's an opportunity to evaluate, you got to take advantage of it. I take it you like cross athletes, guys that do more than one thing. I'm a big fan I, of wrestlers as linemen. Yeah, I am as well. And people always say, yeah, I want multi-sport athletes, you know, multi-sport athletes. And yeah, there's a lot of transition for offensive line Um wrestling or track you know shoot but give me somebody who plays lacrosse give me somebody who plays hockey give me somebody who plays um baseball basketball whatever the case might be and people say well i love these multi-sport athletes because you can see them do other things i love multi-sport athletes because typically they play other sports that may not be their best sport meaning that may not be where they are the superstar. They don't have a big 12 offer. They don't have a power five offer in that other, maybe they're the backup. Maybe they're, um, you know, maybe they're, they're just kind of a role player and you want to see again, what kind of teammate are they when they're maybe not the showcase guy? Um, you say, okay, how hard you work at something that you're not very good at. You know, somebody who goes out, hey, coach, I'm, I'm thinking about going out for a sport I've never done. I said, do it. Do it. Go put yourself in an uncomfortable situation and see how you respond. And I've recruited guys who said, hey, I'm going out for wrestling. And two weeks later, I say, how's, how's wrestling going? They say, well, it's not going very well. I end up quitting. I said, why? And they said, well, it's just, it is, I'm not very good at it or it's too hard or this or that. So, okay. There's a great way to evaluate somebody in my estimation. So yeah, I love guys who play multiple sports, but it may not be the popular thought process of, well, yeah, he's a wrestler. So he knows how to use leverage or, you know, it's basketball players. So he's got great feet or it's track. So he, he knows how to transition, you know, power through the ground in his hips and the, you know, a, a disc or a shot put, whatever the case might be. I want to see what kind of teammate are you? You know, what kind of, uh, what kind of person are you where you're going to work at something that's pretty damn uncomfortable for you when you're not the best one at it. And, and those are things that I really love about multi-sport athletes. Shifting gears again, you played four years at Nebraska Omaha. When did you know you wanted to coach? <laughs> that's a, that's a great, great question. So, um, I get made fun of quite a bit around here because I had, uh, they call me the coffee guy. And what they mean by that is at the conclusion of my college career, um, I spent a, um, I, I can't even say extended weekend, um, but a long weekend um, with uh, both the uh, Kansas city chiefs and then the green Bay Packers. And um you know, it's, it's kind of a funny story. I think, you know, you look at that 2003 Kansas city chiefs online, you know, I go there pretty confident, pretty excited. And, and I see the, uh, the starting lineup they had. That's when I began to realize this, this, this ain't going to work out for me. There's a little bit of difference here. Um, and that was a pretty sporty old line. I remember 
talking to my agent saying, uh, you know, there's, there's gotta be somewhere with, with somebody who's got a, a worse offensive line than these guys. Um, but I actually, at the conclusion of that, um, was thinking that eventually I was going to go to law school. And so I was going to take a year off, do an internship in the, in the business community, um, which I did do. Um, I was offered a GA position at, uh, Nebraska Omaha that summer. And I, uh, I declined and said, you know, I'm going to kind of see what else is out there. Uh, and interestingly enough, um, that fall camp in that August, I found myself in between appointments, sales calls going to, um, still at that point, two a days. And I'd go to the conclusion of the, um, first practice. I'd be out there in slacks and I was sweating my ass off. And then, you know, I'd go to another few appointments and they'd have the evening practice at my alma mater. I'd go back out there. Um, unfortunately for me, uh, after their first game, it wasn't working out with the graduate assistant that they hired. And I told the offense coordinator at the time, I said, I would love, love an opportunity to get back into this because I miss so much, uh, just everything about this game and everything that's not even related necessarily to just the sport of football, but, or the game of football, but everything that's related to the competitiveness the, the the being with an old lineman, the, the cohesiveness, the bond that is made, the 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 overcoming adversity, all those things um, were things that I dearly, dearly missed. And I I I loved to compete. I did. And um, as I found out uh, on those extended weekends, my days of competing in the game of football were behind me. So um, you know, I I, I still kind of had in the back of my head that you know what, let's see how this goes and. Um, maybe I will still take the LSAT getting ready for law school. Um, you know, there, it did not go without hiccups or thinking, man, maybe, maybe I go still go to law school, but, uh, um, it's funny how things have a way of working out and I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. You had your chance to escape and you couldn't do it. Yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't do it. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, I really it. and it was literally, you know, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, okay, shoot, I have a little bit of free time. I know they're practicing at this time. I went over to the practice fields. And then I got to the point where I was scheduling appointments around the practice. And that's when I knew, I said, shoot, okay, I need to have a conversation. And I started thinking, what the hell did I do? Turning down this opportunity to get into coaching. And um, at that particular time, um, I had no ideals of grandeur that I'd be sitting um sitting in the chair than I am. And uh, I've been very fortunate to be around a ton of great people, a ton of great coaches, um, learn from so many of them. And I still am learning from so many of them um, that I find myself uh, coaching in the big 12. It's quite uh, kind of makes you kind of makes you grin a little bit. Omaha Concordia back to Omaha as a full-time offensive line coach, Sacramento state. And then you get to North Dakota state. How did you end up at North Dakota state? Um, that's a, that's a really, uh, really interesting question. And when I was at Nebraska Omaha, um, at the conclusion of the 2010 season, um, the athletic director up there, uh, made the decision to drop the football program and it came as a, um, 
I mean, literally a, a very, very big surprise at that particular time. I, when I played college football, we played against North Dakota State. We played against South Dakota State. We played against so many of these teams that were having success at the FCS level. And it was under our impression that we were going to be making that transition to FCS football, which we were all very excited about. Subsequently, we found out that the, the program was being dropped. Um, and it was a very, very challenging time. We became basically overnight the number one junior college um, in the country. In fact, there's still players from that team that are playing in the NFL. Greg Zerline is a kicker. Um, you know, you look at uh, Shaquille Barrett, I believe, maybe leading the NFL sacks right now. Um, but there's uh, one young man that I recruited out of uh, Olathe North. Um, I was recruiting the Kansas City area. Uh, at that time, and we'd had a ton of success recruiting Kansas City area kids, and he had planned on going to a different institution. And, and Craig Bull and the defensive coordinator at the time at North Coast State, uh, Chris Klein, uh, Chris Kleiman, were down in my office, um, and we were talking about two players, um, Shaquille Barrett and uh, um, Brian Shepard, and um, you know, I, I told Brian, I said, these are two great men. I do know a few of the other coaches on the offensive side of the ball at North Coast State. Um, you know, Scott Fuchs was the line coach and uh, he was a guy at GA4 at Nebraska Omaha and Brent Vegan. Shoot, I, I worked the football camps at North Dakota State. So, uh, interestingly enough, um, Brian Shepard, I told him, I said, hey, wherever you go, you go. And I had a great relationship with him. I still do. But I did kind of say, you're going to go up there and at least check this place out because they're, they're doing some special stuff up there. And, uh, and he went up there and I remember he called me and he said, Riles, this place is different. So uh, interestingly enough, he ended up going to North Coast State. And it's kind of a neat story because um, I, I absolutely love, you know, I say I, I still call him a kid because I remember sitting on his sitting on his couch when he is a, you know, a, a senior in high school at Olathe North. But, um, you know, I went to Sacramento state and two years later, I know the, uh, the tight ends coach I had another opportunity to go somewhere. And, um, I started getting some phone calls and, uh, it was interestingly enough is, is, uh, coach bull who called me and he said, you know, I know you have a relationship with the offense coordinator, the offense line coach, which is very important to him. But he said, when I talked to Brian Shepard's mom about you, um, that's when I was kind of sold. And that's, that's quite honestly, the, the reason I got the opportunity that I did to move, you know, from California for two years, um, uh, back to the Midwest in, uh, in Fargo, North Dakota. And, um, interestingly enough, it was, uh, uh, Brian Shepard senior year. And so I, I thought it was a hell of a neat deal for me personally that, um, you know, Shep was, uh, um, you know, I recruited that kid out of high school and now, um, had an opportunity to, uh, not coach his position, but uh, be a coach on the sidelines. His senior year, we won national championship. He graduated. He got into coaching after a much longer stint in the NFL than me. But um, 
And uh, it's, it's really interesting how things work out. And it's, to me, it's further evidence that if you do things right and treat people the right way, um, things will work out for you in life. And obviously I owe a, a, a ton to, uh, um, to Craig Bull for giving me that initial opportunity, but the other person sitting in that office is, you know, that day in gosh, March, 2011 was, uh, um, coach Klein and, and just the respect and admiration I have for that man is, is, is really second to none. So, um, we went through the transition. I was fortunate enough to stay, move back to offensive line. And, you know, there were opportunities that arose. And at the end of the day, I'd come back and talk to my wife. I said, well, you know, is there someone, you know, who's going to love me and, and love you and the, the little girls like Chris and I, I, I said, shoot, that's, that's hard. That, that's, that's not going to be the case. So, um, I spent, uh, spent five years up there as the offensive line coach and, and, uh, couldn't be more fortunate to, uh, to have gotten to that position and now be in the position I'm in. How quickly did you tell Chris Kleiman, how yes, I'll go to Kansas state with you. Um, I don't know that he said, uh, um, before I said yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, uh, um, I remember that, that, that quite vividly I do. And I remember the, um, the, the challenges we're still coaching, you know, football when, when, when coach was hired and I know the emotional tear that was on him. And I trust me, Tim, I've, I've seen other coaches go from one job to the next and it's not, you know, it's not that hard. And I've seen the impact that it had on coach Kleiman. Um, and that was challenging. And that's a testament because he truly, loves and appreciates the kids on that football team. And, um, I went through, uh, that transition and, and you always wonder, okay, how are the kids going to, to take it? Um, and you know, he's very emotional and we had a, we're in the middle of a, a, a championship run. And I believe it was the week of you're playing a game on Friday night. So it's a short week on top of that. Um, and we were playing a, a team that was a rival team. And uh, and these guys stood up and gave them a standing ovation. And if there isn't any further testament to um, the type of person he is, then, you know, I, I don't I don't know what it what, what it would be. And he still has we still have guys who, you know, another shepherd kid from Kansas City, um, you know, who's still playing in the NFL. I mean, hell, he comes down and watches film with us and, you know, spends a weekend at my house for the Super Bowl and watched his, watched his Chiefs uh, win the Super Bowl this past year, which is great. So those types of relationships are absolutely what make all of this worth it. And uh, I've been very fortunate to build some of those relationships with some of these young people here. Um, you know, I still get daily text messages from a few of the seniors from last year. Um, and, uh, um, just, you, you cherish every, every bit of it, but yeah, when he said, would you like to go? I, uh, I don't even know if he finished state before I said yes, you know, and, um, 
you know, I, I'll be honest, I did not consult my wife on that decision. But uh, um, when I told her, you know, uh, she said, well, did you say yes? I said, yeah, I did. I, you know, I said, well, I was going to talk to you first. No, that won't give me the case. No, we're, we're, we're coming down. And I take it it's going well for you and the family here. It's been great. You know, Manhattan is, uh, is a fantastic community. My, uh, my wife absolutely loves it here. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. You know, you get through the season, you get through recruiting, you kind of feel like this past year you're okay. Now I'm going to experience a little bit more of this area for myself, you know, cause by the time the family got moved down and you have that first summer and you're everything's so new. Well, 2020, my friend, as they say, so I still joke. I, I look forward to, uh, um, you know, it, it's funny. My, you know, I'll say, Hey, you know, I'll tell my wife, Hey, there's this restaurant in town, you know, maybe this prior to, um, pandemic, you know, during last I'm saying maybe me and you should go check that out. She's like, oh, yeah, I've been there. It's pretty good, you know. So I've had this and that. And I was like, oh, I'm glad you're experiencing this great community. I'm glad someone has to. Yeah, yeah. We, me and the girls went there uh, um, about a month ago. I was like, oh, okay, good. I'm, 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 you guys are, are experiencing. But, yeah, they couldn't uh, They couldn't love it more, you know. And, and I'm closer to, uh, to my family, which I come from, a, Tim, you know, another Irish guy, you know, I come from a big Irish Catholic family. So being close to family is, uh, is important to me. And, um, so this has just been, uh, uh, quite honestly, a dream come true. Well, coach, I appreciate it. I kept you a little bit longer than I thought I would, but this has been a lot of fun. And, uh, let's put it this way. You're four and zero in the big 12. You can still salvage something out of 2020. <laughs> well, you know what? It's, <laughs> the, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? And it's, you know, it's, it's crazy to even think about, you know, where, where we've been in such a short period of time, but you know, it is, I mean this with all sincerity. It is. And I told the guys today again, um, and we had a quite honestly, a heart to heart, if you will, um, Saturday at halftime, I said, I, I'm not as concerned about what that scoreboard says, uh, and I know that's we're in the business of winning, but I continue to want to see growth, improvement. Um, I want to see guys continue to stay together um, through the hard times, all those things. And if, if if we see that growth and improvement, which which I do expect to see over the course of the next five or six weeks, you're right. 2020 will be a damn good year, regardless of what the final outcome is. I love talking football with coaches. I love you know just talking football with anyone really. But offensive line coaches, I love them. I just love them. And maybe that's because I'm the son of an offensive line coach, a guy who was a head coach at the high school level and then decided to get out of coaching to better provide for his family. But just talking ball with offensive line coaches because that's football for me, the two lines. And, you know, all the guys that are short or small or fast or can throw the ball far, they get the headlines. But none of it works without the big dudes. And as a fellow big dude who honestly wasn't tough enough to play football, I appreciate the work they put in, what they go through, and that they do it with virtually no recognition. It's pretty cool. Love that talk with Connor Riley. And I'm very happy he's here in Manhattan, Kansas, because I think he's one heck of a line coach. 
Well, we will be back next week with another Kansas State coach as we continue this tour of the Veneer Football Complex all football season long. I am Fitz, and you've been listening to the Powercat Sources podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to both GoPowerCat.com and also our podcast, the Powercat Podcast. We drop one virtually every day throughout football season. I'll talk to you real soon. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.